felt strange to me that I wasn't nervous, that there wasn't that, that emotion or fear in my mind as to like what would happen. I didn't, it was like, I was so focused on just doing without any expectation, without expecting anything in return that I didn't even think about, you know, well, what if it goes bad? What if, you know, what can happen to me? I, it, no, I didn't even consider any of that. Maybe if it would have been more widely accepted for him to open up about mental health issues, mm-hmm. maybe he would have gotten the help he needed. Or maybe he would have just been inclined to say something to someone that would have initiated a thought process like, hey. guys, Dr. Viv here, and welcome. Today, I have a special guest on. Josh Pierce is a finance sales specialist and nutrition coach based in Florida, USA. A couple of weeks ago, he donated one of his kidneys to his dad. And today, we're going to be discussing his journey with the kidney donation, the impact it had on his body and body image, We're going to be discussing his brother's suicide. We're going to be discussing vulnerability, more so male vulnerability, and many more. Well, let's get started. Wow. Today, I have got Josh Pierce on, and I am so excited. Josh, I remember I came across, you know, your Instagram um, story about your journey with donating a kidney to your dad and what it had done to your body. Um, tell me about the kidney story. Cause it, it really, yeah. Tell me about it. Lily. Well, first off, I just want to thank you for having me on here. I'm honored to be here. I'm so happy that you stumbled across my Instagram and my story and that it resonated with you and that it caught your attention. So thanks so much for that. Um, with the kidney donation, very, very moving part of my life, like probably the most most monumental moment of my life, hands down. I'm 30 years old, um, grew up in a with a, a small family. I have a younger sister, um, have you know my late brother, and then of course my parents. And my dad's health has always been he's always been in poor health. He was a type one diabetic since he was 12. Um, he's he had heart problems. He was diagnosed with heart disease at 38, had a pacemaker put in wow. and 15 to 20 years ago, he found out that he, as part of his diabetes, he was going to, or as a, as a result of his diabetes, his organs were going to fail much sooner. So he had found out that he was first going to need a kidney transplant at some point in his life. And, and he said that know, was 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was a long time ago now because it was so far away at the time. No, he didn't even, you know, it, it was never like a big deal. It was like, well, some point in the future, this may need to happen. And I remember when he first told me, I was probably in high school at the time, if I had to guess. And I hoped so badly that that could be me that that could do that. And wow. I, just, you know, I had this, you know, I didn't know what the situation would look like. I didn't care what the process would look like. But I a part of me hoped so badly that he would ask me to do it. And it was like this, this sense of like, I would be so honored if he would. And then years went by and you know, his kidneys continued to fail until this last year, I think last spring, he found out that he was going to need it, that it was much more imminent, that he was going to need it very soon. And he asked both my sister and I, if we would you know, go through the process to get tested, said, you know, nothing's official, but let's go through the process and get that initiated. So that way, when the time comes, we can, you know, we, we've got something in line. Otherwise, he would have to go on the kidney donation list, which here in the state can be anywhere from like five to eight years. And not only would he just continue his normal life for the next five to eight years, but he would have had to be on dialysis that entire time. Mm-hmm. So that was something that, you know, I've seen people on dialysis through my, you know, I, I've just known people on dialysis and I, that was something I never wanted to see him go through because it literally, it drains your life. It drains your time. It's not just you, but it's 
you know, someone, you have to have a companion that's taking you there and back. And it's just a huge burden on your life. And I, mm-hmm. I remember basically putting my foot down and saying, whatever I need to do, I will do to make sure that he doesn't have to go through dialysis. So fast forward, went through the process, found out that I was a match. And that was probably the happiest moment of my life when I found out like, holy crap, this is actually coming to fruition. I can finally do this, this deed that I've always in the back of my mind, wanted to do for my dad. So February 25th was the day of the operation. And, and we were, you know, we both checked ourselves into the hospital. We both were on the same floor in the hospital after the kidney donation. And that was just a very, very powerful time in my life. And I actually have a very um, moving story about that. And, you know, I can, I can tell you about the like the post-operation thing you know when the, when the time is right yeah, yeah. and when we were in the hospital and you know there's a very powerful story you may have stumbled across it in my in my content but that I had wanted to walk to his room so bad and see him because you know all I'm hearing is the nurses and the doctors are saying yeah your dad's in good really good health right now your kidney's working very well for him but I wanted to see that for myself so mm-hmm. I was so determined to walk to his room the night of and because that's, that's like the goal when you donate a kidney, they, they, your goal is to stand up the first and maybe walk if you can. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to walk, you know, the 200 feet down his room. Well, um, I stood up, was finally ready. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to make it to his room. And I stood up and I just couldn't, I was so exhausted and in so much pain that I very, in a very frustrated manner, got back in bed and went, went to sleep and just kind of gave up. And it was, it was very hard for me because I waited until I was so confident that I could make it and, and I didn't. And the next morning, he walks into my room with the nurse. Wow. I, so he, 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 he walked over to you. My room first. And I tell you, like, I was so shocked at what I was seeing. Like, wow. he's like, he's in good spirits. He's walking. I mean, he's got the, the IV, um, tower mm-hmm. he's using that lean on. And, and it was just so powerful to see him do that. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is amazing, but I'm behind the ball now. Like I need to, I need to, he can't be progressing faster than me. So, <laughs> so my goal for the day was still to walk to his room. And later on that day I did, and it was very painful, very hard, but I was determined that I made it. So that was amazing. We were both in the hospital. I was in the hospital for two days following the surgery and okay. he was in the hospital for three days. And we were both back at home. My mom took care of us. She is a saint. Let me tell you, she took care of us wow. for the next two weeks. I stayed there at my parents' house and she just ran around, you know, tending to both of us as we were laid up on the couch and, and everything. So wow. a very, you know- very powerful process. I'm grateful, so grateful to have been healthy and in a position to give such a priceless gift like that. Honestly, because that that's that was one takeaway I took from from or will I say it's it's a it's a it's a it's a big takeaway that I take from what you've said and your story because you gave you more or less gave a gift of life. Not many people get to do that. You know, or or many people may be scared. And to be honest, like I can imagine a lot of people will be be scared they will have all sort of thoughts in 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 you know in their in their mind like undergoing surgery to be fair like i can imagine a lot of i'm i'm black african i can imagine a lot of <laughs> a lot of us feel like all sort of thoughts going through our minds what what were the first thoughts i know you said you were really happy and excited were you scared at all through any of the process you know i i wasn't and it was that's something I, I got asked a lot. Like, aren't you nervous? And, and I really wasn't. I, in, in, I don't know that that, I, I, that felt strange to me that I wasn't nervous, that there wasn't that, that emotion or fear in my mind as to like what would happen. I didn't, it was like, I was so focused on just doing without any expectation, without expecting anything in return that I didn't even think about, you know, well, what if it goes bad? What if, you know, what can happen to me? I, it, no, I didn't even consider any of that. And 
people would ask, like, aren't you nervous? And I'm thinking in my head, and I even responded like this to a few people, and it's, well, no. And I feel like if I was nervous, that that would be like doubting myself. And there's no doubt that I'm going through with this. Um, so I wasn't nervous at all going up, leading up to it until probably the night of. Um, now my, and my dad was actually in the hospital. He got checked into the hospital the Friday before, and the operation was on Monday. So that Sunday night, my mom and my, and my mom and I were there at the hospital visiting with him. And that's when I really started to get nervous. Like, mm. oh my gosh, like in eight hours, I will be back here checking myself in and then it's the real deal. So um, I remember the morning of even the nurses when they were you know, prepping me and getting me ready, they were like, you're very nervous. We can tell you're nervous. Mm. Here, take this medicine, take this medicine. It'll calm your nerves. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not nervous at all. Like I'm ready for it. Just, just do this. But <laughs> I really started to get nervous. And it wasn't like a fear in that, what if this doesn't go well? What if it hurts? None of that. I don't really know what was, you know, the, the nerves, I think was more of like an excitement to just get it done and, and be on the other side and have him healthy with a new kidney. So wow. that's kind of where I was with my mindset leading into the situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, you, I, I think you're really amazing. And I will say that again and again. <laughs> you're really amazing because um, I can also tell um, from your words that you love your dad, you know, and you love your family. Um, and you just demonstrated what unconditional love is, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. It's a tough, it's a tough, um, situation and i'm not sure it's an easy decision for many people to to make and you did that just like that and you challenge us i think you you really challenge a lot of us on on what love really is um and you know because of of this of your story it also made me do research around um kidney um disease and i realized that it is actually a global burden of disease, a big one. And I have heard stories of many people being affected and I didn't realize how bad it can, it can get. And I think even in the UK, um, one of the sites had mentioned that 30 million people are affected by kidney disease. And what I found interesting is that as a lady of um, black ethnicity, those of us of black ethnicity, say, or actually the BAME um, community, so black, Asian, and minority ethnic, um, ethnic communities are actually five times more likely to experience kidney um, issues because of, yeah, of, um, I think there's higher risk of um, things like diabetes and um, high blood pressure in, in these communities. I never knew that. I never knew that to, to know that people of BAME communities are five times more likely to experience kidney issues. You know, it, it was really um, eye opening. And um, I think it's, it, well, shows how we, it can affect anybody, but shows how we need to pay more attention to our health um, in these communities, knowing that there are all these um, risk factors. Absolutely. And, and I would just touch on that and, you know, just to kind of shed a little light on kidney mm -hmm. situation. So we're, most of us, we should be born with two kidneys, two functioning kidneys. Yeah. Oh, we only need one kidney to survive. Um, so what happens when you have two functioning kidneys is they split the workload. So it's close to 50% with each kidney mm -hmm. and they filter through, they filter the, you know, I guess your urine and and all of that, but mm -hmm. they work together. So when you only have one functioning kidney, it's not that you're doing, it's, it's, it's not that it's only doing 50% of the work. It picks up the load and eventually does 100% of the work. So I don't, you know, if you have two healthy kidneys, you don't need them. And anybody is in a position to give one of their healthy kidneys and it will not adversely affect you at all. And just that, you may be at a higher risk for kidney disease in the future if you don't take care of yourself, which, okay, you may be at a high risk of anything if you do this or that. So, you know, that was a very fair trade-off. But again, I want to just point out, like, there, there are certain organs you can donate 
as a live donor and not be affected in the long term. Um, and I actually recently found out too that you can donate a part of your liver and really? it generates. Yeah. And it, and it actually regenerates. So it, if you donate, I don't know how the details behind it. I'm not a doctor or surgeon or anything like mm -hmm. that. But my understanding is that they take a small portion of your liver and put it in, you know, the recipient and it will regenerate and grow to end up taking up, you know, doing the capability of the, the entire workload. So yeah. very cool. But the, the organ donation process, like you said, like you truly have the power to give someone else life. And it's, you know, it would have been very, very selfish for me to say, no, you know, I, I, I don't want to go through this process. I want to keep both healthy kidneys, even though I only need one and you really need one right now. I'm, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, it was a no brainer for me. I didn't think twice at all about it. Um, never once doubted the situation. And, you know, like I said, my father taught me everything I know about work ethic and unconditional love and, you know, just giving without expectation. And now it was just kind of an opportunity for it to come back full circle. And, you know, he gave me life and now I get to turn around and give him life and, you know, wow. hopefully extend his life, you know, several more years as a result. Mm -hmm. So Wow. Re really interesting. Really interesting. And, you know, it it'll be worth looking into um, what other organs you can give as well as a live donation. You know, I'm going to do, but now you've got me, got me interested, <laughs> you know, but coming back to the kidney um, donation, because what I picked up on is you don't, people don't need the two. We really need one to, um, to function. That's what you, you said. Um, so are we saying, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'll be people that will say, what, what would I then have to give up for the future? Because you, you did pick up um, that, yes, I really need one to function. Um, but at the same time, one is at risk of, of um, future kidney disease if you don't look after yourself well. So what will you, what will you need to avoid to avoid kidney disease in future. So what would you have to give up? You know, there's, and I asked the doctor this and I didn't really get a clear answer. Basically the answer that I was told uh, was anything that you would generally consider to be healthy, just try to continue. So, you know, things that you would consider to be unhealthy, smoking, mm -hmm. um, abusing alcohol, just, you know, a poor diet in general, Things that can increase your blood pressure can add additional strain to your kidney. There are so many little things that can add additional strain to your kidney. Well, you're adding work, all this workload to something that is only used to doing 50% of the work. Mm -hmm. So be careful of the additional load you're putting on. And even certain things like extremely high protein diets and, um, you know, supplements. And I know, you know, there are like, you know, drug use can affect it and stuff like that too. So, you know, it's, I, I've always been, well, not, I very, very careful when I say always for the last few years, I've been very conscious of my health and the decisions I'm making in, in order to maximize my life anyways. So it didn't require any significant lifestyle change for me at all. Cool. Cool. And cool. The, only, the only thing that I am giving up when I'm really giving up, the only thing I can't do in the future is I can't give my kidney to anybody else. So <laughs> all you have none, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. So a white, you know, my future wife or kids someday, that's just something that I won't be able to do. So, and that was very important for me when, when I was giving to my father in that, you know, I wanted to make sure that he was going to take care of it because I've heard horror stories of, yeah, I donated my kidney to someone and they didn't take care of it. And you know, it kind of failed them or, or whatever. And I didn't want that to be the situation here. Not that I, didn't not that I doubted that my father would take care of it, but I wanted to be so certain. And that was a very tough conversation that I had to have with him, you know, and just, you know, him changing his lifestyle and becoming more healthy too, to maximize that. Because the doctor could say, yeah, this, this should last you 12 years. Well, I don't want my father to think, okay, 12, if I get 12 years out of it, I'm good. No, I want him to think, no, I'm going to make this last 30 years and do everything in his power to, you know, live 
that those 30 years. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm 30. I don't have a wife or kids yet, but I want my father to be around when I do have kids and when they grow up. So, you know, for me to be able to contribute to that, just extremely grateful. Wow. You gave him the gift of a second chance. Yeah. You know, wow. We're just going to pause for a second. Um, I'm going to show a picture of your dad, you and your dad, um, just for a second. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Wow. Um, and um, I know you you touched on or you it had um, it, it, it did something to you because I remember you saying as well that um, you would do if you, you had this the chance again you you will happily do this for a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a. Is I that- mean, it's it's a very bold statement, but. Yes, I absolutely would. After going through the process and seeing how simple of a process it was, I mean, like it costed me no money out of my pocket except for the flight to get up to Chicago where I, you know, where I, where the operation was done and everything. But months later, completely unscathed. I have a couple scars from, you know, I have five marks from where they had to make like small holes in my abdomen. And then they call it a bikini cut, but the incision, like you're like a C-section incision. So that's all I have. I'm in perfect health. I wouldn't like, I can move just like I did before. Um, I've got a little bit of strength to gain and all of that. And that's a whole different story, but I'm unscathed. I would absolutely do it again. I am pain-free and I was pain-free a few months after or a few months, a few weeks after the operation. So it wasn't, it, it, it was not burdensome at all. And I expected it to be so much more painful and all of that than it actually was. So absolutely, I would do it again for a family member. I would, I would do it for you. I, I would do it for a stranger after going through that process and seeing that it, that yeah, I was in pain and, and all of that, but it wasn't near as bad as I expected. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Let's talk about what happened after the surgery and um, the effects it had on your body. You've, you've just touched on it in talking about the incisions that you and the cut you had. I want to read a quick quote of what you put on Instagram. Um, you said, and I quote, I've talked about the changes my body is undergoing. They are changes I wasn't initially okay with. In fact, I'm still having a hard time with them and I'm battling with them every day. Tell me about the changes you experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. So very difficult time. And again, something that, you know, I, it wasn't something I considered beforehand and, and I knew that I was going to be removed from the gym for a couple of weeks and all of that. And just to kind of put this into context, very focused on my physical fitness. I, you know, have tried my, basically my entire adult life since I graduated college for the last seven years, my goal has been to build muscle and build this physique that is representative of my hard work and dedication and my, just my overall perspective of how my health should be. So building muscle, building this physique, and then I'm told that I will have to be, you know, be out of the gym for, you know, at least three months or, you know, have lifting restrictions for at least three months. So again, it's not going to change my mind. Something I just didn't really think about until after the fact. And then I'm like, you know, the the two weeks following the surgery, I went from 195 pounds and like a muscular 195 to 175 pounds in two weeks. So basically in what feels like overnight, I dropped 20 pounds, most of which is muscle, most of which is everything I've worked hard for for the last five or six years. Is that like, I'm just thinking in kilograms. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like so me, that's like 10 kilos or about, something like that. About 10 kilos, maybe, maybe wow. kilos. Yeah, I, I forget that we're. <laughs> but yeah, it, about eight or 10 kilos. So, wow. I mean, that's two a days. When you're, you're, yeah, no, two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And well, that was from 
that when I checked myself in until my two week follow-up appointment, I had yeah. dropped 20 pounds and I didn't even realize it because I was at my parents' house eating my mom's cooking. I thought if anything, I'm gaining weight here. Mm. And I, I, they told me my weight and I immediately called my mom and I was like, why didn't you tell me I lost a bunch of weight? And she was like, well, I didn't know. I saw you every day. And, you know, after speaking with a few friends, they're like, yeah, I can see it in your face. I could tell. I could see it in your arms. And, and I'm thinking, why on earth am I the last person to find out I just lost 20 pounds? So that was very, that was a lot for me to handle. Mm -hmm. And I haven't weighed 175 pounds or, you know, what is probably 80 kilos since before, since I was 17 years old. So wow. 14 years ago. And so that was very hard. And now, you know, I'm still right around that weight, 175. And the whole mental aspect of that is what I was referring to with the challenge, with the changes my body is undergoing, is that I, I lost my physique. And that was very hard for me because that was, when I walk past a mirror and when I look in the mirror and see my physique, that is as shallow as it sounds like that's how I viewed you know, my masculinity, my mm -hmm. hard work, mm -hmm. you know, my perseverance, all of that. Like I would look in the mirror and see that it was kind of like a trophy for everything I've been through and the hard work that I had. And now I'm looking in the mirror and I no longer have that. Mm -hmm. And that is very hard to, to stomach in that, because that was, I always considered that to be a representation of my masculinity. And now I don't have that physique. Yeah. That was how I identified myself. And now I don't have that. So very tough mental process to, you know, even to stay, stay up with like your sense of self-worth and all of that throughout this entire process. And yeah, I, I, it's, it, I remain grounded with the fact that, Hey, what I did was such a noble act that it, it was far greater than anything a physique or anything like that can do. So that, that absolutely keeps me grounded. But it's just, it, it, it is very tough mentally losing all of that and not being able to do anything about it. And basically just like coasting through, you know, day after day, week after week, knowing that, all right, someday I'll get back in the gym, but not today. Yeah. And I have to remain like this and trust the process. So very tough right there. No, I, honestly, I can totally get that because, and it's good you, you brought that up because things like body image is a big it's, it's a big deal for a lot of people people many people look to body image for self for, for a sense of self-worth and self-esteem and in ladies it is it could be oh how slim am i how curvy am i how beautiful is my hair how beautiful is my are my eyebrows how 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 good is my makeup you know and these things can really really impact on one's self-esteem and for males which you've rightly picked on is how buffed up you are <laughs> you know people go to the gym for this and um for you i guess I, I, for you you've been in the gym for so long so many years you've built up those muscles and now you've gone through surgery you've had have to have to deal with losing those muscles you have to deal with a, a big bikini line that I can imagine would have been a big change. And I, I, for example, remember how I felt when I went through a tough time many years back and then um, went through an episode of depression. And I remember that I had put on, I put on like 30 kilos all of a sudden in the space of two months. And it really, really, really did not make my self-esteem any good. I remember how terrible I felt and was so eager to lose weight. So I can totally relates um on that but there was something you said as well and um it's being able to bring your focus to the good you did so for anyone that is going through self-esteem issues for where body image is the issue what would you say to them because let's put it this way there are people whose goals have taken a different direction because of a life-changing event. For some women, for example, it could be 
um, you know, they've had a baby and now they've got this big belly they're trying to deal with, <laughs> you know, for someone else, it could be health related issues that have contributed to their, um, you know, change of body. For some people, it's just their body, like, you know, that their body is different to everyone. Everyone else is unique. And for some people are really, really not comfortable in their skin. What will you tell them? Well, I think the first thing, the first and most important thing, the, the, the quickest thing that I realized is mm-hmm. what y- your physical, the way you look physically is not at all a reflection of who you are as a person. So like I said, I went from 195 pounds, like a chiseled, strong 195, where, you know, I'm probably the person that in the gym, you know, other guys that are smaller are probably like, wow, I would love to look like that someday or, you know, something like that. And then in two weeks, basically what feels like overnight, I lost that. Now, nothing about my personality, nothing about who I am changed whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yet I feel like a completely different person because I don't have that physique. And it's something where, you know, I, you look at the people you look up to in the gym, for example, the, the really strong people, the people that just look like they, they know what they're doing and all of that. And you're almost intimidated by them because you think that they're like almost like superhuman, mm-hmm. but they're not because overnight they could lose that and it's mm-hmm. not like at all who they are and what their values are and all of that. It doesn't change anything about them inside. And that's what I quickly learned was, and I had to, I had to wrestle with that myself was, you know, okay, I'm, I look like this different person right now, but I had to keep reminding myself that I have not changed. I am still me. And, you know, that's, you know, you had mentioned too that, you know, women's bodies when they change as, as you with pregnancy and stuff like that, perfect example. And probably one of the most common examples of your body taking, you know, you're heading down a path and you have to take a detour because mm. life, you know, life says something, you know, life has different plans for you. So whether it's sickness, pregnancy, or something like that, there are going to be times where while you want this goal so bad, you have to just kind of embrace the road that life is taking you down and make the most out of that situation and shift your focus. And like you mentioned, redirect your goals. And that was, that was exactly it with me. So at the beginning of the year, before I knew that this transplant was happening for sure, my, one of my new year's resolutions or goals for the year was that I wanted to lift a certain amount of weight in three combined different, um, exercises. I wanted the combined weight that I was lifting to total up to a certain number. And when I went through the surgery and found out that I was going to be removed from the gym for three months and all of that, I had to reach, I had to redirect my focus. I had to almost abandon that goal for a little while and accept the fact that I have a different goal now. Mm-hmm. My goal is recovery and building this foundation so that when I come back and try and come back stronger, that I can do that in, in a very efficient and optimal manner. So mm-hmm. redirecting your focus, you, you have to be okay with accepting the changes that your body is making if they're out of your control. Now, and I say that with caution because I don't want, I don't want it to sound like, you know, just, all right, let yourself go, be okay with whatever happens to your body. Because if you can, if you have the ability to control it, that's completely different. But, you know, with, with medical reasons and like we talked about with pregnancy and stuff like that, those are perfect examples of, you know, life, life's getting in the way and you're, it's out of your control. Control, yeah. Embrace it and move forward and just continue to realize that this is not at all a reflection of who I am. And I think, you know, just as you picked on, there's a big thing there about sometimes celebrating yourself no matter what. And also about learning to just give up control on what you can't. Because many times part of the issue is we're trying to control everything. And this is something I personally I've been trying to walk on, <laughs> you know, it, it makes it, it makes it more challenging because you you want to, you want, you want to control this. You want it to change now. You want it to change yeah. now. But as you've highlighted, there's something about sometimes adjusting our mindsets um, around situations. And I, and I take that on. Let's go back to your fitness journey. 
because I know that you're back in the gym now and you're pushing, you're pushing. <laughs> um, when did it all start for you? When did fitness, yeah. So I've always been an athlete. I, I grew up in a very small town, very small high school. So it was normal to be like a three sport athlete through high school. And, and I didn't really put any focus on my fitness or health or anything like that. I ate garbage and didn't take care of my body. So I just, I got by as an athlete, but never really like a great athlete. I was very average because I didn't focus on that through college. I kind of let myself go in, you know, with just drinking and eating and, and I gained a lot of weight in college. My first couple of years, I gained like 50 pounds in college. And it was, that was very hard. And it, you know, for the four or five years I was in college, it, it did wonders to my, my body image and my confidence and, and all of that. So when I graduated college, I moved to a new state, a new city where I didn't know anybody. And I kind of took that as an opportunity to start fresh, turn over a new leaf. I have all this free time on my hands. I don't know anybody. So I started really teaching myself nutrition and how to how to make the most of my workouts and really started focusing on that. And it was a lot of trial and error. It was very, very hard starting out because you know how it is with the internet. There's so much information out there. So much. Someone who, you know, wants to do right and wants to turn over a new leaf and make a change. It's like, okay, what information is good? What's bad? What's right? What's wrong? Mm-hmm. Where do I turn for help? Like what resources are the right resources to turn to? Mm-hmm. And I remember, that battle. It was just so much trial and error, failure, wanting to quit, actually quitting, you know, several times. So over the course of those, the last six or seven years, I just kind of persevered through all of that and kind of honed my nutrition, my own nutrition and knowledge for that. Well, as I did that, my passion for health and nutrition continued to grow. And as I continue to find this balance in my life, this in when I say balance, I'm talking between, you know, eating the foods I love and being able to live the lifestyle of a 30-year-old guy and also being able to push forward and stay in line with my fitness goals and mm-hmm. try and work toward the best shape of my shape of my life the right way. So it's so important to find a balance somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle that you're comfortable with both. Like, yeah, I understand that I'm not going to progress as fast as I otherwise could, Mm. but I'm also enjoying life. I'm also, Mm. so I, I know I can go out on a Friday night and have a couple drinks or I can go get pizza with my friends and it's not going to adversely affect me because I found that balance. Mm. And I, I believe that that balance is such a great place to be that I want to, I want everybody else to, to join me in that. Like mm. I want to teach everybody else how to get there. So over the course of those years, I eventually became like the resident expert for my friends and coworkers when it comes to nutrition. I, people would come to me and say, Hey, you know, can you, can you help me point me in the right direction with my nutrition? So I almost like a consultant, nutrition mm-hmm. consultant for, I wasn't coaching people because there was no follow up, but I would, they, I would consult with them and, and give them direction and, that was kind of how it went for a couple of years. And mm. then I, I realized, hey, look, I have this passion and this knowledge for nutrition and I am doing a disservice to myself and to everybody else out there if I don't share that. So I decided mm. that I was going to be a nutrition coach. I was going to start my own business and went on about a little over a year ago, started my own business, Josh Pierce Nutrition. And now I do online personal nutrition coaching where I work with primarily work with women to help them overcome restrictive eating habits and that whole yo-yo dieting, the, the trying different diets and just seeing what works and taking them from that, meeting them where they're at, regardless of what their knowledge about mm-hmm. nutrition, meeting them where they're at and just working through their lifestyle, changing habit by habit, small habits at a time, starting with the lowest hanging fruit and just working through their entire lifestyle to take them to a place where they can be comfortable with their balance, where they can, where they too can eat the foods that they love and mm-hmm. enjoy, finally feel the freedom, you know, in, in being able to eat a piece of cake or, you know, being able to go out to dinner or, you know, something like that without feeling the guilt that's attached to that. And just take them, bring them into this, this place, this balance that I've found myself. 
So that's where I am now. You know, that, that whole thing around balance is something I, I want to learn more about, especially as you started talking about diets, because I've done different ones. <laughs> and I think a lot of women were in that same spot of trying, I've tried, you know, different things and trying not to eat carbs, you know, eat protein, um, low calorie diets, all sorts. And what you're saying right now is I can still eat pizza, I can still have cake, and I can still lose weight. How, how, how does that work? Absolutely. So, so in, this is what I do. And I'm very, very open about what I eat on a regular basis. I would say that 80, 80 to 90% of the time I'm eating by the book, like what I would consider to be whole foods packed with nutritional value, like I'm prepping my own meals and all of that. I'm, I'm making foods that I enjoy, but it's, you know, maybe boring, you know, it's chicken, rice, vegetables, mm-hmm. stuff like that most of the time. But that other 10 to 20% of the time, I can eat anything I want. I can eat, you know, that it, I can fit the pizza, the tacos, the ice cream and all of that. And I'm very open about that. I eat ice cream probably four days a week and I make it wow. fit my, I make it fit my nutrition. And, and it literally, it's just creating awareness around mm-hmm. how much you're eating of different things and, and being able to fit those things in your lifestyle. Now, what I believe is that if you create a lifestyle that allows for those foods on occasion in moderation, then you're no longer cheating. You, if, if you're on a diet that doesn't allow you to eat ice cream and you want to eat ice cream and you do, you walk away from that instance in which you ate ice cream. Now you're feeling guilty. You're feeling like you've cheated on your diet. You're feeling like, you know, maybe like you're not cut out for this or that you're not going to see success because you broke the rules. So there's all of this negative emotion attached to that ice cream or that cookie that you just had. Mm-hmm. One lousy cookie can leave you feeling so guilty and so worthless. And I believe the you know I founded my coaching on the this on this belief that there should be no negative emotion attached to that food you eat. That cookie is so powerless; like you should not let that affect how you feel and your guilt and anything like that. Uh-huh. I just want to interject on that because I know that that was something you, you, you know, you said to me and I quote that a core principle of your, you know, diets and approaches, no diets, no restrictions, no emotions attached to food. When I am eaten <laughs> something that I know that I personally shouldn't be eaten, my emotions are, you know, I shouldn't be eating this. I should, and I, I'm saying it, but I'm eating it. <laughs> so somehow I, emotions are attached to what I'm eating. Explain the principle and how am I meant to take away the emotion from the food? How do we, how, how do, we do that? So one, you, if you allow yourself to eat that, and if you, if you create a lifestyle or a plan that, that allows for that flexibility, then there is no cheating. Because it's part of the plan. There is no negative emotion because your day was set up to fit that cookie or that piece of chocolate. Now, you're not having an entire package of Oreos or an entire box of cookies. You're having one or two cookies to satisfy your craving and you're moving on because that's all it should be. So, you know, the, the principles on which I founded my coaching is flexible dieting, you know, 80 to 90% of what you're doing should eating should be whole foods packed in nutritional value. Now that other 10 to 20%, that can be the foods that make you enjoy life, the foods that keep you from feeling like this is a diet, the foods that keep you from feeling like you're restricted and that, you know, make you want to continue with this. Because if this is, if, if, if I said, hey, 100% of the time you need to eat these whole foods packed in nutritional value and you can't ever have the cookies, one, that's not a lifestyle that you want to live. Mm-hmm. Now you feel like you're living in this box. You feel like you're back on this diet. Now you're, at some point you're going to have cookies. And then what? And again, the negative emotion and all of that. So if we set ourselves up for success from the beginning by allowing that in small amounts, mm-hmm. emotion to be had. And you know, for me, it's, I, I use them in my examples and my content all the time. But for me, 
It truly is pizza, tacos, and ice cream. If someone told me that I, I had to give up pizza, tacos, and ice cream to achieve my goals, I absolutely, I would walk away from that situation. I would find a, I would find a different plan because there's no way I could see my life without pizza, tacos, and ice cream. Wow. Wow. I, know, I now know what to get you in your birthday. <laughs> yes, all three. So like, I mean, I, I guess this is for anyone. If you know you want to, you know, lose weight and stay healthy without giving up you the things you love, Josh is your man. Like he's the nutrition coach that you want to reach out to. So make sure you do reach out to him um, on that to, to help give that balance. Yeah. Thank you uh, so much. For that. Wow. Um, I want to take a step back um, to, to your fitness journey again and when it all started. I, I think it, you started about seven years ago and you started at a time when um, you, were not, you felt like you're not in a great physical um, or mental state. And I believe that prior to that, eight years before you lost your brother, Tell me about that. Um, and did it have an effect on when you, you started your journey at the time? So uh, my brother was two years younger than me. I was 22 and he was 20. We both went to the same university. We were very close, you know, like best friends. And we had all of the same friends. He used to come over. Like I said, he was two years younger than me. So him and his friends used to come over to my house all the time for, you know, for parties and stuff like that. So we were very, very close. And out of the blue, well, you know, unbeknownst to us, he committed suicide and died by gunshot completely out of the blue. I mean, this was a, this was a young man who had hundreds of friends who was always smiling. He was the life of the party. He, you know, he could get any, any woman he wanted and all of that. Like as my younger brother, this was someone who I thought, you know, got the better looks. He was more... (laughs) like he was funnier he was just more personable and you know just he could just like talk to anybody you know and see so these were all things that I know I that my brother had that I didn't have as the older brother and it was you know so fast forward when he committed suicide that was very tough and I think the hardest part still to this day is thinking what was so bad that you couldn't talk to me about, you know, like where did I fall short as an older brother and that you couldn't, you couldn't speak to me about that. And I think that was, that was very hard to deal with at first. So now we're, you know, I'm dealing with why, you know, what, what was so bad, like why in general, Mm. and you know, two, how long had this been going on that we didn't know about it? And three, like I said, what was so bad that you couldn't talk to me about? Like, where did I fall short? Because, you know, in an ideal world, you know, hey man, I'm having relationship issues. Can you, you know, can I talk to you about this? Or, you know, I just, you know, maybe it's a self-worth thing or whatever it is. And, you know, we would just be speculating at this point, but that was what was very hard for me. So that took a toll on me mentally. Um, my, family, hmm. my family and I got very close. Now, my sister's four years younger than me. And, you know, we were, you know, we were always a close family, but, you know, I was always very much closer to my brother because two years apart, rather than four years, it's my baby sister. Um, But after losing my brother, we all banded together and it just made us so much tighter and so much closer. And that was a very powerful part of my life. And it's just, it's, it's sad that it took that type of event to bring us close like that. But what my family did to move forward and turn that negative into a positive, I think is very, very powerful. And we, the first summer after he committed suicide in March and after uh, that summer, he was big into playing softball. So we started, we had a softball tournament and it just in memory of him, didn't have any plans to make this like an, a yearly thing or to do anything bigger, but it went so well that turnout at that softball tournament that we, decided we were going to start a nonprofit organization and, you know, geared towards suicide awareness and positive mental health, all of that in the local communities. So since then, I mean, since I think it was 2011 or 2012 that we started the foundation, 
since then we've just continued to grow this foundation and now we have our flagship annual event is a huge softball uh, it's a co-ed softball men's softball co-ed volleyball um tournament every single summer wow. the same thing every single summer in memory of him all of the proceeds go to suicide awareness and get put back into the local communities for educational programs for the youth and you know just positive and we're trying to do so much positive for the communities to you know so that other families so that nobody else has to go through what we do mm. wow i i I can imagine that it would have been really tough for you guys, you know, to be tough for anyone. Um, and you see, I guess, you know, you also hit on something where men are concerned because he may have been struggling and not have been able, you know, maybe he was going through depression and you will not have known or, you know, and this is the thing with men because men are more, they're, they're more likely to hide what it is that they're going through. Yeah. And men are also twice more likely to commit suicide than women for, you know, some of, some of these reasons. And I think sometimes, a lot of times people don't underestimate what people are going through. And obviously, you know, suicide is one thing people don't want, but it happens. And Many people are like, oh, why did he, why did he do that? Why did she do that? Why did they, and, you know, you don't understand that, you know, that person maybe wasn't even thinking the way you are thinking. All they could see is the pain, the pain, and, you know, it being better, um, and, and being better than them being here on, on, on earth. And it's, it's tough. What helped you overcome the whole, the whole thing. Let me put it that way. What, what, how did you, you know, as a family, how did you eventually get over? I know you never forget him, and, and it's you know you have the foundation which is super. Um, but how has it helped? How for you personally? How have you been able to move on from it? And how has your family been able to to move on from it? Is hands down the support from the community around me, from my friends. I have the best group of friends and they, they surrounded me, mm. you know, starting with the, the day of the visitation before the funeral. I mean, well, even before that, they, they just banded together and surrounded me. My friends from college, our friends and family, you know, from our local community. And like I mentioned before, we, I grew up in such a small town. It's a town of 300 people. And where everybody knows everybody and it just, it brought everybody together and we had the most support I have ever seen. And that's just something that I'm forever grateful for because they banded with us when Tyler committed suicide and they've stuck with us since they've continued to support us year after year with the, you know, with the, our, our foundations initiatives, mm. um, on the anniversary of his death on his birthday we just get so much support from the people around us and i hands down it's it's the support of, support. of the I, I think that is really amazing um you see being black and african right um the whole mental health space is I won't say total, it's not a new area, but it's a new area that people are now beginning to focus on right and a lot of people underestimate mental health a lot of people underestimate suicide in fact if someone commits suicide it's almost like it is you know it's like the un unthinkable has happened you know it's like people are ashamed they didn't want to talk they didn't want to talk about the fact that someone is experiencing mental health issues in the first place you know not to talk of suicide you know people have all sorts of oh you know and there have been incidents where people have attempted suicide and people have said the wrong things you know to them you know um I did, how, how was it like the community coming out to give the, the support, support? Did you as a family feel like shame from it? Or did you feel, or did, was, how did you feel after it initially? I mean, getting the support, I mean, we welcomed it with open arms yeah. and it was, it was amazing. And, and we would have been, it, it would have been horrible to like push that away and shut down. Yeah. And I think, I think some, 
I think it's easy for some people to do and to shut down and to kind of push that away. And, and, you know, initially there was a little bit of resentment and as, as hard as it is to, to say and be honest about, there was a little bit of resentment. Like, yeah, this is a cowardly move. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, you know, uh, a long-term solution for a temporary problem. It's, you know, you, you're solving your problem, but look at the problems you're creating for everybody who loves mm-hmm. you. So there was a lot of that at first, mm-hmm. but I think in just maturing and kind of understanding the situation and that, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, it was much more than, you know, maybe, you know, one bad day or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Battling so much that we could never even fault him for it. And, and I think it just comes back to, you had mentioned that it's like, it's almost like taboo to speak mm-hmm. of suicide or to speak of mental health and all that kind of thing. And that's how it was for us growing up in a very small town. If, yeah, I remember in high school, if, if you even say the word suicide in school, like it's like mm-hmm. you're in trouble. Don't talk about it. If someone has mental health issues, they're crazy. You don't associate mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And that was the mentality growing up. So when we established this foundation, we wanted to, that was our goal was to get away from that mm. and do away with the stigma that comes with suicide and mental health. Mm. And we can get people talking about it and we can get the schools educating about mental health and suicide and how to recognize symptoms of, you know, depression and stuff like that. And just kind of open up about it and not let this be so taboo. Mm. And we're advancements because if, maybe if it would have been more widely accepted for him to open up about mental health issues, mm-hmm. maybe he would have gotten the help he needed, or maybe he would have just been inclined to say something to someone that would have initiated a thought process like, Hey, Tyler needs some help. Like I'm really worried about what he's going through right now, but because it's so taboo or it was so taboo, can't fault mm-hmm. the guy for not opening up about mm-hmm. it. I mean, everybody looks at you like you're crazy after that or, you know, so mm. very and, and we, that's what we continue to strive towards is doing away with that stigma and just getting people to open up about it because the more people that are aware of suicide and, and its effects on everybody around them, it, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it just the cause is much better, much better suited and we're yeah. better able to help the cause. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And, you know, just hitting on the point there, as a people, we've got to become more vocal about the issues. We've got to become more understanding. You know, if so, if someone is going through mental health issues or depression, or it's not that they are weak in any way, they are not weak. You know, people are going through stuff and we've got to create that atmosphere that allows, you know, people be vulnerable with themselves. People talk you know, and people seek the help that they need. And as a community, we shouldn't be pushing people away. We shouldn't, it's tough, it's tough. Mental health, you know, the whole, I mean, there are different types of mental health, you know, fair enough, but, you know, I, it, 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 it can be tough for, for families, it can be tough for individuals. And I think we just need to increase our awareness, which is what your family is doing. And I think that is brilliant. And I think, you know, your brother will, love you guys for you know for what you guys are doing and for keeping his name alive and keeping his sports the sports that he also loved alive i think that is really amazing and you're using that to bring awareness and understanding around mental health and suicide as well to the community and i think that is 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 really really um well it's a good thing that has come out of it also um well done to you you guys for that um Still on the topic of being vulnerable, I think one thing that I really loved about you and your Instagram post is how vulnerable you are. A lot of men think I shouldn't be vulnerable. I.e., a lot of men think they shouldn't be vulnerable. A lot of men think that, you know, we always, it's good to, you've got to keep this manly view. You've got to, you know, you've got to stay buffed up and, you know, but, a lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't even help the conversations where you need to open up. It doesn't help deepen relationships. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't help bring to surface things that could have been talked about. As a man, what do you think helped you be more vulnerable? 
And what do you want to say to men who think that they shouldn't be vulnerable? And I'm not having a go here, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's an important topic. What do you, well, an important question. What helped you be more vulnerable and what would you say? I would, for starters, I would, you know, just want to kind of paint a picture here. I haven't always been vulnerable like that. I haven't always, like, I haven't always been one to expose a lot of my personal life on my social media and stuff like that. But, you know, a year and a half ago, I would maybe post an Instagram picture once a month. And it was something like me and my friends were out on a boat or something like that. Now, like I'm posting daily because I'm coaching and, and, and I have, I just have so much to say. I've opened up so much, but I would say just putting myself out there with coaching has, is what helped me become so much more vulnerable because I'm trying, trying a lot of different things to see what my audience connects with and stuff like that. And I quickly realized that my audience, the, the people that support me and, and the people around me, they connect most with me when I'm vulnerable. Mm. That, that's what gets the most connection, the most engagement and all of that. So that, you know, single-handedly, that's what helped me like, that's what like pushed me out there and was like, all right, do this, you know? So that being said, I, I've learned so much about myself and just opening up since then in the past, I would say the past six, eight months that I've been, you know, very vulnerable with my social media content and with, with complete strangers that I engage with, with you, for example, you know, engaging with complete strangers and I have no problem divulging my life story because it does no good for me to keep that to myself. And I've learned over the years that there's so much you can learn from mm -hmm. other people's story, from other people's battle and their struggles. I would just say when it comes to vulnerability, it is so much easier for people to connect with you when you're vulnerable. It shows that you're not immortal. You're not inhuman. You are human. And it, and it just makes it so much easier for a complete stranger to connect with you. And yeah. I found that like with my coaching, it, I don't want to be this immortal. I don't want to be this untouchable person that people are shy and timid to reach out to because I may know so much more than them, or, mm. you know, I may have this, this physique or whatever. Like, no, I'm human. I make mistakes. I struggle too. You know, I am in the trenches every single day battling just like you. And I have no problem showing how I am battling. And if, and if that resonates with you, if that's something mm -hmm. that you're battling with too, then Hey, let's connect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would say to other men out there, there is nothing wrong with being vulnerable. Absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. It does not show weakness. I would say contrary to that, it shows strength. The fact that you're open, you're willing to talk about this, that you're willing to expose your weaknesses shows so much strength. Mm -hmm. and it is not and a weakness all. Wow, thank you so much, Josh. You know, being sort of conscious of time and the fact that there's so much that we <laughs> we could still talk about. Um, you know, one thing I try to do through research with Dr. Viv is, you know, helping people bounce back and you know grow through adversity with three pillars: reset, rediscover, and um growth. Grow. Because a lot of times um you know, life throws us balls and it's easy to forget oneself um, when life gives you certain balls. <laughs> Before we round up, what one, th there are people going through things in life right now and um, they need to know that it's okay to not feel okay at those points and that they will be able to find themselves and get back on their feet. And, you know, what mind, what mindset do you think has helped you? What mindset will you advise people going through stuff right now in, to develop as they grow in their bounce back journey? You know, I would, I would definitely start by saying, and I, I, do, I say this with my coaching clients all of the time. And I wanted to interject earlier on and say this, you know, it's to you at one point, I can't remember what we were talking about, but create as much control as you can in every situation. And you're, you can be, if, 
if you can just get in the habit of creating as much control as you can in every situation, you're going to be just fine. But I think where we get ourselves in trouble is where we start to worry about things we can't control. And when we dress ourselves out about things that are completely out of our control, like me, for example, losing 20 pounds in, mm. you know, that's something that was completely out of my control. Mm. And if I let that stress me out and, you know, burden me, that's significantly affecting my life. And mm -hmm. for what? Something I could have not even, I could not have controlled. And I say this with, with my clients when they're, you know, say you're going away for the weekend and you want to stick to your nutrition plan. Well, you're not going to be perfect through the weekend. There's going to be obstacles. Life's going to get in the way. But if you can get in the habit of creating as much control with each unique individual situation as you can and just moving on from that, mm -hmm. you're going to be so much better off. And it's going to, you're, th that is the way that I've found to approach this lifestyle mm -hmm. is just on a case by case basis. How can I create as much control as possible? What's out of my control? So take what you can control and let go of what you can't and know that it is okay. Absolutely. Well put, Josh. Thank you so much. Guys, follow Josh on Instagram at Josh Pierce Nutrition. It'll be down below. So please follow him. Remember to also follow me on Instagram at Vivian underscore Ekem. And don't forget to subscribe as well. Um, to the channels. It has been amazing to have you, Josh. You teach us what it means to be human. You teach us what it means to love and love unconditionally. And I guess you challenge us all. Um, and it would be nice to have you again soon at some point. <laughs> but um, all day. I literally, and, and we could go on for hours about this. Yeah. So I, I am honored to be on here. Thank you so much for having me on here, Dr. Viv. And if you ever, ever want to chat, Again, I, I'd be honored to be on here again or, you know, whatever you want to do. If anybody has any questions about my journey, what I'm doing, about my coaching, about the kidney donation, anything like that, don't be a stranger. Reach out. I absolutely, Reach out. I absolutely love connecting with new people. And anytime I can share my story, my journey, um, my knowledge, my passion, anything like that, anytime I can share that to positively impact someone else. I am 100% for it. So don't feel like it's a burden to bother me in my DMs or anything like that. No, message me. I love connecting. You're, you are great. You are great with the DMs, I have to say. <laughs> I love it. That's like my favorite part about this whole, you know, the, this newfound lifestyle with, with mm -hmm. coaching is I'm connecting with strangers every day and I love it. Connecting with like-minded wow. people and hearing other people's journeys and connecting with people on similar journeys, connecting with people on completely different journeys. There's just so much power in connecting with as many people as possible. And you, like, who would have ever thought that we would be sitting here mm. on this podcast right now? You're in the UK. I'm in Florida. Mm. We're, you know, thousands of miles apart, mm. completely different time zones. We're, what are you, six, seven, eight hours ahead? It's, yeah. You know, who would have thought we would be in this situation? And now I've got a long-term friend, you know, yeah, I've got a, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. Likewise you to me. So yeah. there is so much power in just connecting with new people. So yeah. don't be a stranger, reach out. If you have any questions, I'm glad to chat. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. Well, guys, that is it from me today. And from Josh until next time, take care, stay well, and God bless. Yeah.